Hello, and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing Easter Sunday, exploring the Gospels of Mark and John. Our amazing guests this week are the incomparable Jennifer Irving, who is an enrolled member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe and is currently the Director of Grants at the Red Cloud Indian School in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. She is a mother who practices her Lakota spirituality and believes in preserving the Lakota language and culture. We also have the extraordinary R.G. Manolis, who works in the community development field at my alma mater, the University of Minnesota Morris. She is also a foster parent, adoptive parent, and a spiritual director. And last but not least, the Reverend Dr. Gavin Shoemate, pronouns he, him, his, is a bivocational priest serving at St. John's Episcopal Church in Toledo, Oregon, and is a physician at Integrity Women's Health and Wellness LLC in Newport, Oregon. Welcome, my resurrection friends. What's important to keep in mind this Easter? And Gavin, or how about Jennifer, how about you start? Oh, wow. Jump right into me. Okay. I don't, I think um, for me, I think it's just this past year has just been a, re- a big time of reflection, right? Um, and I definitely think like in the wake of some of these like huge historical events, you know, the, the killing of George Floyd, the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, like I think it's just for me, like this whole time frame has been about reflection and how we're either adding to this divisiveness, this, you know, um, what our roles are in that, um, what our roles are in um, creating spaces for healing and safety for people. Um, so I think for me, that's really what it's been. And I felt like a lot of us are being called to that um, mm. during this time. And so um, I mean, and then of course, layering on the pandemic, right? Like we're forced to sit still in some ways and forced to really think about um, our lives, our families' lives, but also like, how are we creating narrative and how are we contributing to certain narratives and how are we creating a certain environment? So for me, I, I, I just tend to think like, we're just been in this place of like kind of forced reflection <laughs> at times. Um, and so I think this Easter season and all during Lent has been this idea of like, okay, how do we get to a place of healing that's genuine and real? Um, but also too, like what's our role in that as individuals, as within our families, within our communities, but what, mm. what's really our role in those things? Um, and then, yeah, I, I think, you know, we keep talking, I mean, I keep hearing this talk about divisiveness and, you know, these polar ideas, like always in conflict, but it's like, what, what's our role in that though, too? So that's what it's been about for me. Thank you. Shook? For me, this has, I, I definitely agree with a time of reflection, but for me, it's also been a time of uh, remembering, remembering that Jesus rose. And so I'm reminded of the poem, And Still I Rise, that we as a people 
do rise, can rise, will continue to rise. Um, the thing that keeps coming back to me month after month after month, day after day, is the song from The Color Purple. God is trying to tell you something. And I feel like God has put us all in a big old timeout. And when you go into a timeout, you're supposed to think about mm. what you did and what you're going to do better. And, uh, and so that has been something that has really preoccupied my time. What is God saying? What does God want us to hear, to see, to feel, to remember? What does God want us to do better going forward? And just this has, and this has been a time of me realizing, and I think a lot of people realizing how we don't have this under control, that God has this under control, or some other being besides us has this under control. And look what I did, folks. I brought this whole thing to a screeching halt overnight, basically. And if you don't get a message out of that, I don't know what you need. Um, but I, I just really liken it to a big old timeout. Mm. Like, what did I do wrong? What can I do better going forward? And remembering that Jesus rose and so can we. Mm, thank you. Gavin? I think, well, I completely agree with with Jen and with Shug. Um, I identify with both of those those reflections. I think that so many of us are coming from that place of lament, that place of just sitting there. I imagine, a, you know, like maybe even a child in timeout, just sitting there with his, their arms folded and just a scowl on their face and thinking, "Oh gosh." How did I get here? I don't want to think about how I got here. Things were fine before. And then gradually coming to a place of, oh, well, maybe I did do something. Maybe it's not okay the way things were, but how do we get out of that place? And I think that as a society, we're sitting in different points of that place or different areas of that place. And we're all sitting almost in timeout in different corners thinking how how do we even begin to fix this and really as i read the the passages for for easter sunday i thought hmm there was lament even after the resurrection mm. because mary was still so upset she yes. couldn't even conceive of anything yeah. else that could possibly explain why the body wasn't in the tomb mm-hmm and there was still lament there until Jesus called her name. Yes. She didn't know who she who he <laughs> was until he said, Mary. And I to me, that says that we don't have the power on our own to drag ourselves out of this lament, out of this mess that we've made of society as we sit in time out. You don't get to come out of time out until a parent says, okay, you can stand up. What did you do? And what are you going to do different? So it's almost like waiting for the holy parent to say, okay, calling your name and saying, get up out of time out. What did you learn? And then we can recognize, oh, 
we've been given that resurrection moment. So for me, I think that's important to keep in mind that, you know, tying almost all those things together that yes, we're in time out, but we can't get out of it on our own. Hmm. And don't you pay more attention? Didn't you pay more attention when your parents called you by name very specifically? And it kind of... <laughs> All of the like, names. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. You knew you were in trouble when the middle name makes an appearance. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this... Usually Easter Sunday, there's a lot of different like liturgical elements that some churches do. I've seen folks like put a like chicken wire cross and everybody puts flowers on it. <clears throat> I've seen people like resurrect the alleluias, like where they like some people like have kids like dig them up out of a, the ground or sometimes they'll do different things to hide them and, and bring them back. Or um, what liturgical suggestions do you have for the Easter Sunday service this year? Well, I am in a situation where I'm coming into very different traditions than what I've been accustomed to for 25, 26 years, uh, local customs. And um, it has really given me pause to think about, you know, the, the myriad ways that there are to, to celebrate, to recognize, to reflect, to um, really stop. Uh, one one of the things that was done at my previous parish was a flowering of the cross um, and the chicken wire and the kids would would be the ones mostly to do that. Um, and it was a very visual representation of, of basically new life. Um, what was very bare, that chicken wire is now full of life, full of color, full of the love of the children's hands putting this, these flowers on the cross. Um, I have really been deep in thought about what this Easter will mean. Uh, here at St. Peter's, it will be one of the first Sundays that people are actually back in church and here at St. Peter's. And so that will be a time I think of great rejoicing because of the, just the sheer humanity, the being together with one another. But also I think a lot of people are gonna feel like they're at one with God again in a way that maybe they haven't been for a while, haven't been able to receive communion, full communion, haven't been able to hug one another at the peace haven't been able to hear the music that that we're accustomed to and things of that nature. So I think that we're going to come into being again slowly, perhaps. Uh, there's still some things we're not going to be able to do, but I think there's going to be great joy. And, um, and I think that's appropriate, but I also think we shouldn't lose account of what the day actually means. And, and just how different that might have been from our time of Easter last year. I remember holding up a sign on Facebook last year, and I don't, Shaniqua, I don't know if you remember seeing it or not, but I remember how troubled people were about Easter and not being able to gather. And I wrote out a, a sign and held it up, and, and it said, Easter will come. 
it's still coming. <laughs> Just because we're not together doesn't mean it's not mm. coming. And so, you know, obviously we're going to be a few steps away from that for some of us. But Easter will come. No matter what we do or don't do, Easter will come. Yeah, for us, we're not back in our church building yet here at, at St. John's. Mm. So it, it's taken a lot of creativity um, to try to take some of our liturgical um traditions and dig down into what they really mean and figure out how do we reproduce that in a way that's meaningful when we can't gather together um, mm. for ash wednesday instead of you know i know some some clergy took little envelopes and they they mailed out ashes to the congregants and you know their parishioners and that's the way that they they celebrated ash wednesday is that they had their own ashes um some stood out at the church and double masked and gloved and everything and and did ashes almost in a to-go basis um we did something a little different this year in honoring our humanity um that we will go back to ash. We wrote out our um, Lenten commitments on a little piece of uh, like gift pip tissue paper, and we burned those at home as part of the service. And those are sitting now for me on the uh, in the kitchen where I can see them every morning, and I can see what my Lenten commitments are and how they've been burned and, and gone to God in that way. But trying to figure out how do we flower a cross when we're not together? How do we sing the the alleluias when we're not together? How do we resurrect an alleluia when we're not together? That's that's the challenge for me now, and I don't I don't honestly have an answer yet. I wonder about amaryllises. Like, I think that those things just flower so fast. If you planted one, it would just kind of be like, well, boom. <laughs> one of my, Only if uh, it makes that noise. Yeah, one of my liturgical focuses during Lent has been not so much what I can give up, but what I can give during this, this time. Uh, and in in addition to what I can give up, so not just so much concentrate on, you know, the old thing that we do every year. What, what am I going to give up for Lent? Well, one year I gave up giving up things, uh, and so <laughs> so um, you know, my focus is more this year is what can I give? What and, and realizing that in giving up something, letting go of something, you are making room for other things to grow or to come into being. And so that, that's kind of how my uh, focus has shifted during this time. Yeah, St. John's hit upon an interesting um, kind of a Lenten mantra uh, the good news is love is free. And because of that, we are free to love. So I wonder how that could play 
into our Easter Sunday. That's lovely. This might be more of a question for folks, um, but what, in what ways do you remember those that can't join this year because they've passed on? Or I know, and you know, there are times like in our Lakota spirituality that we, you know, make space and time to like wipe the tears of those that are in grief and mourning. Um, and when we enter into some of our ceremonies like there's a certain time for that and maybe I don't know if if that's appropriate during Easter but it just feels like so many people are in that grief journey right and they're in that like um in that period of adjusting to life without their loved one like how does how is there space for that during Easter um I just think of you know when you're when you lose somebody, that whole first year is hard. You're doing all the first mm. without them, right? It's like mm -hmm. their first Easter without somebody, their first Christmas without somebody, their first this without somebody. So is there space for that during Easter service? I, and I don't know if it's appropriate. So I just thought about how do we transition people through those things? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that question. And it's something that I'm struggling with now. Um, I lost my sister last month to COVID. My mother's brother died just last night of COVID. And I lost a cousin about two weeks mm. before my sister died. And I really realized that I don't know what to do with that right now. And I don't know if I'm supposed to feel particular things during Lent. I don't know if I'm supposed to feel particular things as we approach Holy Week and Easter. And so I, I have to tell you, I'm really struggling with that. Um, and and the, other, the other element of that is when your family looks to you for um, priestly things or deacony things, you know, they, I'm the only Episcopalian in my family, so they look to me for certain things. And I had, and I had to say to them, I need to be your sister right now because that was my sister too, and I'm grieving too, and I, I can't be the, the clergy person. I just can't. But I, I do recognize that was probably as far as I went with it, that I haven't really been able to grieve, uh, and I haven't really been able to be a comfort to myself. You know, uh, so I really appreciate that question because it really gives me impetus to really delve more deeply into that I think of Good Friday as the time when people start, mm -hmm. like, that's the time when we kind of remember Jesus' death and we can remember everybody else's death. Everybody else's And then um, Easter is the day, you know, when we think about everybody rising again or the promise that we will all um, see each other again. And I'm always reminded in Lakota, there's no word for goodbye because we know we'll see each other again, right? Oh, and okay. so I think in that way, you can remember folks. And I always... I don't. I usually preach about this on funerals, but like we believe that you know when you go up to that communion rail for the Eucharist, all of your relatives are there. Like when I kneel and I'm ready to take communion, my grandma and grandpa are there. My aunties and uncles that have gone on are there with me taking communion along with whoever else. Um, and so I always think of that too as I as I think about Easter and um, the resurrection. 
I think Good Friday, I think that's a good point, Shaniqua, and that's a very appropriate place to for that sentiment. And I think that because of that, Good Friday can take on much more meaning this year than it has in the past. Um, I'm just thinking of my congregation, Good Friday, you don't usually get very many people. You know, it's it's the Friday before Easter to, to a lot of a lot of people. Um, but I think that if it's, I don't want to say couched in, but if, if it becomes a, a larger portion of the mourning and the grief and a vehicle for that, um, it's what I like about liturgy is that it's a powerful way to address so many human emotions um, in, in a very, it gives space for those things. Shug, like you're talking about, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I don't know how I'm supposed to to do Lent when I'm when I've got this this thing that that I'm carrying and I don't know how to carry. I think that the liturgy gives space for that and it gives allowance for that and it gives a place. And I think as clergy, part of our job is to hold that space. And Shug, you'll have to have someone else hold that space for you. Yes. Because you can't hold that space for yourself. Thank you. mm. Yes. So let's talk about the Gospels and the resurrection story. And so there's two choices. Um, you have Mark and you have John, and they're a little different. Um, and I, so let's just talk about them as a whole, and then maybe we can talk about them individually. What stands out for you in the resurrection story? Uh, either or both of them? I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, even as a, as a um, non-Christian Lakota, I've I've heard this story through different, um, through different ways. I, you know, was thankful for the readings because I could kind of read those different things. But I think what struck me um, was always like the humanness element you know of folks not quite understanding or believing you know this new thing right or and I, and I don't know if it was new but just in both there was this like not quite understanding what's happening um you know mm. that once Jesus is gone like and you know the folks to come after were you know it seemed like there was like confusion and this disbelief right and I think of like that humanness in all of us and like sometimes when the creator presents us with things, how we don't aren't, you know, like sometimes it's beyond what we can comprehend. Right. Hmm. Um, and I think that's so beautiful in a way, because like as a human, we're always on this learning journey, right. To the day that we pass away and we're always like learning things that the creator's putting in front of us. And um, sometimes we don't see it right away. It's not immediate. Um, and I think that was what was, striking to me was like here's this beautiful thing it's new um and still even after hearing this story i mean you all probably have heard this lots more than i have but (laughs) there's still this like well i mean like there's still this humanness to it right like Mm -hmm. we have we still have to comprehend it for ourselves too right that there's this resurrection that this happens that this you know there's this ascension um and this is the way you know the, the creators operating. Um, so we still have to explain it to ourselves too. So I don't know. I just always think like 
and, and the, those miracles that happen every day that we have to wrap our minds around, or sometimes we just have to let go too, right? Like we don't need the explanation. This is just what happens. Um, mm. So anyway, that's what was striking for me in both stories. In both stories was that humanness and that kind of innocence that we have as humans to really understand what the creator is trying to do or show us. Yeah, I... I share that. Um, I, I do hold the opinion that we're not supposed to understand everything. Uh, I, I really like to think that that the creator is holding something back for for later, you know, for when we're in a different plane. I was particularly mm-hmm. struck by the fact that Mary did not recognize Jesus. Uh, and um, it gave me pause to think about those times that we now don't recognize Jesus, uh, don't recognize mm. Jesus in works, don't recognize Jesus in other people, don't recognize Jesus in our responsibilities, the things that we're called to. Uh, I'm, I'm very aware that the same creator, the same Jesus, the same God that makes Promises also makes demands. And so, uh, you know, where are those times that we don't, we just don't recognize? And and I think sometimes we get so focused on the divinity of Jesus that we don't really see the humanity of Jesus. And, um, mm. and I just wonder, and I just wonder in that moment, of not recognizing, of Mary not recognizing, what was it that she didn't recognize? Was it his humanity or was it his divinity? Uh, and and I go back and forth on that. And, and and again, it gives me pause for myself and for other people that I deal with is one of those times that we just don't recognize. We're, we're in the presence. We see it, but we just don't recognize it for what it is. Gosh, I went off into left field with my thoughts. <laughs> my, um, I had two two things that stood out for me this year. Um, the first thing was that there's power in a name. There's so much power in naming something or someone. And that brought me to... Um, the trans experience and dead naming. When you call somebody mm. by a name that is no longer one that they, they recognize or own, um, there's power in a name. There's power of recognition and there's power of denial. By dead naming somebody, you deny who they are. Um, by calling somebody by their chosen name, you're affirming them. You're saying, I see you. That was the first thing that came to me. And the second one was that the tomb is empty. Mm-hmm. The tomb is empty in the sense that Jesus was resurrected and he takes everybody with him. Nobody gets to stay in the tomb. So I wonder, or this makes me wonder, who's choosing to stay in the tomb? Who would we rather see 
stay in the tomb. Hmm. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I love the piece about the names. I think, oh, yes. like, I, I was thinking I have several mm-hmm. names. I have, like, my nickname, Shaniqua, and my, you know, Lakota name. And I think as Lakota people or Indian people, naming is such an important part of your, like, upbringing. There's a whole ceremony when you get your name. And sometimes people will get a different name if something um, traumatic happens to them or if they change their life in some way. Um and I've heard, like, when I was in Wisconsin, the mm-hmm. Ojibwe's, they would say, you know, when you pray, you have to use that name for the creator to hear you, like your your Indian name. Hmm. Hmm. I was struck by that as well. When you said there is power in the names. Yes. And, you know, yeah. And that, that is such a journey for us as Lakota people. You know, we're given our birth name and then um, we're given a Lakota name later. And like Isaiah said, it doesn't have to be traumatic either. It can just be like an accomplishment. Like you've done so much mm-hmm. for your people. Sometimes you're given a new name based on that as well. Or uh, you're given a name that you're like, that's your guidance. Like that's what you're supposed to live up to. Right. So uh, when you said that, um, Gavin, I was struck by that. And I thought that's, um, and it, it kind of made me think about, about that when Mary didn't recognize him. I thought about something that you said, Suge, about that. Was it the divinity or the humanity that she didn't see? And I also believe, like, there's our spirit self, right? Mm, that leaves yes, us flesh behind. Yes. And, you know, we're, you know, is that the best part of ourself? Is that our real self, you know, without the things that we wear and put on and, yes. you know, the things that change in our body? And, you know, is that what she was seeing was the true self, right. um, that mm. true spirit? And that's why it was hard for her to recognize. And I think um, the closer we embed ourselves in in prayer and in spirituality, like it's easy for us to see those things about each other, right? Um, and so when our relatives come mm-hmm. to see us either in dreams or things like that, like we're able to see them in a different light and recognize them because we're we're recognizing their spirit, not necessarily their human body form. So mm. a lot of that came up when y'all were talking. So, yeah. I always preach about it. Um, when I preach about it, I talk about, well, sometimes I make a joke about having some serious bedhead if you've been, you know, dead mm. for three days. But um, but I often <laughs> talk about it like in nature, we have a couple of examples where it's the same thing, but it looks different. Like a dandelion. If you didn't watch the dandelion go from yellow to the little puffball that you blow on to blow away, you wouldn't know that it was the same plant. Or like ermine, True. which is like True. that weasel that's like white with the with the little black tail is different in the winter and it's a you know a weasel in the mm. in the summertime. So we can see examples of that in, in nature where we there's things we don't recognize. Um, has there ever been a time where you encountered something sacred and didn't realize it until later? I had an experience uh my wife, Doris, and myself, we had a, a very dear girlfriend who was suffering from ovarian cancer, and she had asked us to promise that when her time came that we would be the ones to help her transition. Mm. And, um, and so we received a phone call, and, and you know, uh, she, she was in the hospital, and she said, I, I would like for you to come to the house and be with me. And they had said it would be about a week, and so we packed a little bag, and we went to her house. And we were with her, and uh, it was very painful for her to 
get out of bed or walk any place. And, but she wanted to walk to the bathroom. And so we would assist her. Sometimes it would take 45 minutes to get her there and back, but that was okay. And one day we were just about out the door and she said, Suge, I want to, I want to wash my hands. So I said, Becky, you did wash your hands. You want to wash them again? She said, yeah. And when we got back to the sink, she told me to put my hands in the sink. And what she wanted to do was to pour water into my hands. And that was so mm. powerful at the time. But since then, I have just really been able to understand what she was doing. And uh, it was mm. a moment that I was transformed by that. And I often think about that and, and since that time have really come to understand how important water is to my spiritual sense. Uh, I'm an Aquarian, mm. and so maybe that's kind of comes natural, uh, but <laughs> I am really at peace when I'm around water, really at peace. And, uh, but, but I always am reminded of that incident and that gift. And uh, Doris and I did have hands on Becky when she transitioned. That was exactly what she wanted. And we were able to do that for her and be with her. So I, I often think about that, um, that moment, and I'm really grateful for mm. it. And I will say, I don't think I really recognized how important it was at the time you know, at, at the time that it happened. Um, I thought it was just something Becky wanted to do, but since then I've come to realize. Shortly after I was ordained uh, to the priesthood, um, there was a, a new priest who had come to be the vicar of um, the church that raised me. And because I live in such a rural area. I was an associate at that church for my first year or so of ministry. And one of the things that I enjoy doing living on the coast is going to the beach. Um, Oregon beaches are not like, they're not warm, they're cold. <laughs> and the water is cold. This is not Southern California. This is not the tropics. Um, but one of the things I like to do is walk on the beach and look for agates. Um, that is one of the things that we're famous for is the agates on our beach. And I was walking in there, are these just these beds of rock, um, little tiny rocks, and you can find little fossils and things on the beach and lots of jasper and randomness. And I was on the phone with, with my, um, the vicar who was, you know, one of my mentoring priests at that point. And, I said something to her just sort of at random because I was looking at the rocks. I said, you know, a rock can't polish itself. And she kind of stopped and I kind of stopped. And it was one of those moments where it was like a, you know, the spirit led moments where you say something, but it's coming more through you than from you. Mm. And I didn't really realize how true it was until I came to my own congregation here at St. John's. Um, I've been with them for about two and a half years now. And I don't know how many times I've said that to them is that we're going to bang into each other. We're going to knock chips off of each other. 
Uh, we're going to have big collisions and little collisions and, and you know, little um, fender benders, but that's how you get to become beautiful. And that's how the inner beauty shows forth is that a rock mm. can't polish itself. It has to bang up against other rocks. It has to be tumbled in the ocean and come back on the shore and come back out again before it comes up and you say, wow, that is a beautiful rock. But you probably wouldn't have said that when it first knocked off of whatever it fell off of. Mm -hmm. I love that visual of us banging into each other and bumping into each other and, and perhaps being reshaped and reformed. I love that. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And sometimes it's painful. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Where do you see resurrection in your community or in your world? And, or maybe where do you wish you saw resurrection in your community or in your world? <laughs> I can, I can, um, I think like in, in my community right now, we we're seeing a lot of, um, I mean, it's just worded differently, but a lot of revitalization around mm -hmm. our Lakota language. Um, and I see this movement across um, Indian country um, around revitalizing language and culture um, and heritage um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, even in my lifetime, you know, I remember going to ceremonies as like a little kid and, and there were other little kids there, you know, there might be one or two, but you know, there wasn't a lot. And now in days we, when I take my daughter to ceremony, um, there's other kids there. There's a lot of kids and they're in ceremony and they're in prayer and they're learning. You know, I always think like their learning has been like fast tracked. I mean, not, not in a negative mm -hmm. way, but like, so one of the songs that we sing is a four direction song. Um, and I didn't learn that till I was in my twenties, you know, um, even though I had been in ceremony since I was a little kid, I didn't really learn all the aspects to it and what it really meant and translated and that kind of thing. But yet I see, like kids that are just a few years older than my daughter singing the four direction song knows what it means mm. can you know tell about the history and the teaching of it like and I couldn't do that till I was in my 20s so I see that um happening in in community and and um it's it's beautiful so I I, I mean it's worded a little bit differently but I, I see that resurrection happen mm. um in that way and yeah and, and also like this understanding and this movement towards healing um, mm. and truth and healing and reconciliation between American Indians and um, the church, whichever church. I don't want to just say the Catholic church because I work at a Catholic school and we have a truth and healing initiative right now. Um, but I'm starting to see that across the country in different, mm. in, in different um, indigenous communities where folks are talking about how do we, you know, we're not going anywhere, right? Like the church isn't going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. So how do we get along? But then also how do we reconcile some past hurts and mm. harms and some of the things that happen, you know, as these two 
you know, forces collided. Like, how do we reconcile and, and tell the truth about that and heal from that and then move forward in a beautiful, genuine way, right? So I see that too. So I, I'll just say, like, those are the ways I see resurrection in, in community and also healing. So, mm. yeah. Thank you. I think one of the ways that um, has been most profound for me and our community here has been the willingness of people to let go of some things in terms of some ideas that they've held for a long, long, long time um, towards healing. There've been a lot of courageous, and I, and I do use that word intentionally, courageous conversations between people, between uh, communities, mm. Uh, the understanding that uh, there cannot be forgiveness without reconciliation, that forgiveness is not a standalone, it's not a one and done thing. There must be reconciliation. And if there's reconciliation, there's new life. Mm -hmm. And so it's new life for everyone mm. involved. And so um, that really um, has been a big, big, big piece, I think, uh, of what I consider resurrection of sorts, the the willingness to listen to and and you know what the willingness to really see other people uh, through these conversations and through these meetings. You know, one of the curses of Zoom has been that we're able to see each other, we're able to hear each other, but do we really are we really engaged? with one another. Um, and so I, I've kind of mm. seen that evolve. Uh, and, and I've been really, really happy about that. Um, I, I think the resilience and the, the signs of new life and, and just recognizing that there's much that we can do without and probably should do without in order to have new life and to have new growth and is just um, if there's a gift of COVID, I think that might be one gift. I don't know that we would be doing these things if had had it not been for COVID. I I don't know if we would have been willing to sit in front of a, a screen like we do for the length of time that we do had it not been for COVID. Mm. Uh, so. I don't want to give COVID too much credit, but <laughs> but you know there are some things that we we have been uh, been told through the universe and the Creator that we need to do, and that we need to be about the business of being about different business, not business as usual. So. Hmm. And, you know, I'm going to add to that. I think, I think during this time of COVID and also some of the other pandemics that we've been suffering from for a long time, whether it be racism, homophobia, whatever, um, sexism, xenophobia, I think that many of us have been able to see ourselves on the cross in one way or another. Mm. And 
I think that's been very enlightening. I've seen scales falling from a lot of eyes, including my own. Mm. And it really has put me in, really put me in communion with Jesus. Um, during, during my, um, during my formation, one of my mentors told me, Sugar, are you sure that you want to be uh, ordained? said, because if you don't look good on wood, don't go into the priesthood. <laughs> and I said, what, what is he saying? <laughs> I thought about that, you know, but I really kind of came to understand. I'm still working with that, but I, I came to understand, you know, there are times when we're all on that cross, have been and will be, sometimes because of other people's foolishness because they don't like what color they are. They don't like the fact that we're gay. They don't like the fact that we're a woman. We don't, they don't like the fact that we don't have blue eyes, whatever, you know, uh, people will put you on that cross. And so when I'm up on that cross or I feel I'm up on that cross, I, I got to figure out what I have in common with Jesus and uh, besides being there and what it means to be resurrected. So, you know, it's it's never a one and done. I don't think I don't think we can ever sit here and say we have it figured out that we know what it means entirely because I don't think we do. But it is a continuing spectrum. It's it's just as long as we live and draw breath, we're going to be doing it. And even after uh, given the promises that have been made to us by Jesus. So um and I intend, I, I often say when I leave here, if I get to sit across God on the porch in a rocking chair or something, I got a lot of questions I'm going to be asking. So, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> Anika, you, you've spoken with me before, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah, okay. You got some explaining to do. Um, I just want to hear what, what in the world was going on. But, you know, signs of resurrection are all around us if we just open our eyes, I think, if we just recognize what, um, what is out there and what can be out there through us, through us. Where are you in the resurrection story? Should you sort of talked a little bit about that of being on the cross at different times, but oh, where do you identify with that resurrection story? Well, for me, I definitely can identify with being on that cross, either with Jesus or giving Jesus a break. Um, <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in my personal background that um, is less than pleasant that you would have to put in, I mean, I'm just going to call it what it is, in, in the area of abuse. And I know where I was then, and I know where I am now. And um, there's nothing else you can call it but resurrection. Um, I don't think that I could have the life that I have now without having gone through that time on the cross. 
I don't think I would have had the perspective. I don't think I would have had the insight. I don't think I would have had the level of compassion, the ability to forgive, and the um, the great capacity that I have to love without having been through that experience. So um, that pretty much says it in the nutshell for me. I'm I am a big proponent of what our presiding bishop says about if it ain't about love. I mean, I really believe in love, 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 love. If it ain't about love, it ain't about Jesus. And so um, that's kind of where my frame of reference is. But I really don't think I would have been able to have the kind of formation and be where I am today had it not been for what I call my time on the cross. I think that's true of a lot of us as people, but as clergy particularly. Sometimes I wish that I could stop being formed for just five minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to get a break. <laughs> like, exactly. Okay, enough of the formative <laughs> moments. Can I just be a block in a moment? <laughs> yeah. I had a moment not too long before my ordination where I was, and I, I don't know if everybody goes through this, but I was like panic stricken. I was like, oh my God, you know, am I doing, is this right? Am, am I really worthy of this? And, and I got, literally got down on my knees and I said, God, why, 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 why? And especially why now? I mean, as you can tell, I'm not exactly a teenager. And I said, why, you know, why? And I, I kid you not, I heard a voice. And the voice said to me, um, just be glad I'm not making you have a baby at 90. And I was like, <laughs> okay, uh, no more questions. <laughs> I haven't I haven't asked another question <laughs> since then. But you know, there's it's tremendous joy, but it's a tremendous weight too. You know, it's it it's um I understand I'm I'm newly ordained and I already feel like you just ex- what you just expressed, like, you know, when do you get a break? Well, I guess you don't. I mean, I don't know if people that have been at this a lot longer than I have say, you know, they're still waiting for their break. So, but my favorite movie is The Godfather. And there's a line in there that I always remember. And that line is, this is the life that we have chosen. And so I think the life chose us, but it's, you know, you get what you bargain for, I guess. And um, so I'm not exactly happy to hear you old timers say that you never get a break, but okay. <laughs> there you go. Something to look forward to. Yeah, I think that um, this year in particular, being the only person of color in my congregation and one of exactly three now because we have a a new bishop um three clergy um asian clergy or of asian Mm. descent 
um, in the diocese. Sometimes I feel like Mary um, coming to the, the men in power, if you will, saying, this is what I saw and trying to get them to come and see what I saw and see things the way that I've mm-hmm. seen them instead of sitting back and saying, well, yeah, you know, Mary, um, it's really early in the morning. Um, are you sure that's, that's what you thought? Maybe you saw something else. Why don't you sit something down and else. have a cup of tea, and relax, and mm-hmm. it'll be okay. And Mary's like, no, you have to come and look. It, it's, it's not there. You have to come and see. And you know what would have happened if Peter and the beloved disciple didn't go running for the tomb? Hmm. How would that have changed the resurrection story? If said, ah, it's it's just Mary, you know, she's she's just a woman. It's all right. All right. So sometimes I feel like I'm I'm running around with my hair on fire, literally, and say, "Would you please come and look?" And sometimes it's my congregation that I'm saying this to. Sometimes, you know, as a physician, it's my patients that I'm saying this to. Sometimes it's just the people on the street that I'm saying this to, saying, "Hey." look and they're like ah you know it's just gavin mm-hmm. his hair's on mm-hmm. fire it's okay they'll <laughs> <laughs> be all right <laughs> it happens all the time <laughs> give him five minutes he'll calm down <laughs> jen where do you see yourself in the resurrection story um I think, I mean, I mentioned this before, um, just, I think like the, um, I definitely see myself in the mark. Um, I appreciate Gavin's, um, you know, his perspectives on Mary too. Cause like, yeah, I can totally see myself as that, you know, oftentimes being the only indigenous person in a room, mm-hmm. you become the expert all of a sudden on every mm-hmm. indigenous issue ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> And, you know, so there's that. But I think I, I've really felt um, called to just the folks that I think towards the end of, of Mark, when they said they, they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they had nothing uh, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Right. Like I think of our um, so many of our community members and especially in Indian country when like we you know, in order to protect certain things, like we've had to stay quiet about those things, right? Um, mm. Afraid because some in the times that we have shared, like those things were appropriated in other ways that weren't always helpful. Um, ceremonies were shared, songs were shared, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but I also think of just the humanness of that moment too, of, um, you know, other times that I was afraid you know, uh, uh, and fearful of things that I've experienced and seen. And um, is there that belief there? Um, maybe their fear was just trying to comprehend all that they have taken in. Maybe they didn't feel worthy at times to have experienced something so beautiful. So, you know, would people question that? Like, well, why were you shown and not somebody else? Right. So I think, um, I think that's probably like what spoke to me the the most in that in that place or in these in these stories is just these um I think there was two that that left and were like they just never said anything mm-hmm. and um 
Yeah. Mm. So I just think of like how fear sometimes moves us to action and how sometimes fear moves us to inaction and just that delicate balance there and how human that is. And, um, and we all would like to think we wouldn't be that guy that would be afraid, but if we're put in that situation with, you know, like, yeah. So it's like what calls us to move and what doesn't. And, um, yeah. So that was, that was probably, you know, I, I think where I've seen myself too. Well, you know, you just made me think of something. Um, you made me think about the movie The Black Panther and how when yeah. you speak when you speak about keeping something secret in order to protect it, and that whole notion of protecting the vibranium in Wakanda, mm. keeping it secret, keeping it protected, because re- realizing uh, what might be done with it, and not necessarily in a good way of other people that didn't really understand what it was about, what they might do with it. Um, so yeah, that was powerful. I really, that yeah. Makes me think about the times that we as black people have had to do that, or we as gay people have had to do that, uh, how we've had to live our lives in secret a lot mm. in order to protect ourselves, our jobs, our children, uh, yeah, that is, wow, that is really, really, really fertile ground for a lot of conversation. And that's where my brain went, Shug, is to the LGBTQ population. Mm-hmm. You know, how much do they live in quiet? I have several trans patients that they tell me now they're afraid to leave their homes because we live in a conservative town. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're trans in a small town and you're out, you're pretty visible. Um, mm. And not everybody does well with that knowledge. Like you said, you know, uh, they're going to do what they will with that, that, that kernel of mm-hmm. truth about you. And sometimes it's for good. And quite often here, it's, it's not. not. So they're staying at home. They're ordering their groceries, driving to the grocery store, picking them up, and going home again. Yeah. And it's not because of COVID. So in the small amount of time we have left, um, I'm going to ask the closing question, which is just, you know, what tips do you have for preaching uh, Easter Sunday this year? And I'll share one that was told to me by my friend who's Methodist, and she said, keep it brief and keep it bright. What's <laughs> the two things she said? But what tips do you have on preaching Easter Sunday this year? I like those. Yeah, um, I have to go along with that. That's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, really keeping it brief. And... Um, thought about something that my sister that just died said all the time, no matter what calamity she was facing or we were facing in the family, whatever, she always said three words, just be happy. I think people want to be happy on Easter. I think, I I, I don't think that, um, I think they want to be happy about the resurrection. I think they want to be happy about what that might mean in accessible terms for them in their everyday life. Um, 
but I, I, yeah. And, and what is, what, what has been said is, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, you know, tell a story, mm. <laughs> <laughs> tell a story. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to add much to that. Keep it brief and keep it bright because the light of Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah. And that we're all called and recognized by name to participate in the resurrection and not to stay in our laments and our woes. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And that we're not in them alone. We're not in them alone. Jen, any tips you want to add? Things you would want to hear? Mm, um, no, I think you guys hit it all. I think, I think you know, before I asked the question about, um, you know, how do you remember, but not like, kind of having a better understanding, maybe it's like, how then do we celebrate mm. our loved ones that have passed on? Yes. You know, what are yes. the, mm. the traditions that we're going to, carry forward and that bring us happiness and bring us, you know, you know, their life um, and that energy that they carried around us with us. I think um, that might be something to, to land or one folks might want to hear, especially if, you know, they can remember on good Friday, maybe Easter is then like, well, what are some of the things you're going to carry on that they did to remember, you know? So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think just acknowledging the times that we're in and, and yeah. And I think, everyone's been through the ringer right mm -hmm. so can we celebrate some yes. can we have some good times and can we yes. you know find some joy in all this like let's do that so whatever that is let's do that and by extension if we can do that if we can celebrate our loved ones that have passed on how do we then continue to celebrate jesus someone tell me once when when like when someone's passed on, you want to remember them, think of, or like to honor them, remember something that you really appreciated that they always did and then mm -hmm. try and do that thing. And I was thinking about like my grandparents, every time, you know, someone came to the house, they'd always be like, Oh, do you want some coffee? Oh, you know, they'd always make sure uh -huh. they had something to drink and something to eat. And so then, you know, I always try to remember to do that when people come to my home sure. or whatever, you know, whatever it is, the thing that people, you know, people do. <laughs> so Thank you so much, everyone, for being a part of this. I appreciate your um, being coming, uh, being willing to share your prophetic voice with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Jennifer, Argie, and Gavin. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Phoebe. If you heard a resurrection message today, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Thank you for joining us for this Holy Week season of Prophetic Voices. Watch for new episodes coming later. Until next time, let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, 
kick off the 81st General Convention and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.